0: Our scripture this morning, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, is found on pages 162 and 163. Our scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 26. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk, what? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and As you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Mark. Well, I have been your pastor for a little over two years now, and it has been so great. Even with all the ways the pandemic has messed up our lives together, I have said repeatedly, if I had to go through a global pandemic, there is no church I would rather have to go through it with than you. We have learned a lot in these last two years. We have learned a lot. And I want to tell you a few of the very important things that I have learned by being your pastor. Ready? Karen Faye's makes the most amazing baked beans. (laughs) It's true. I had them at one of my very first funeral lunches, and they were so good, I about lost my mind. I have also learned that Diane Zimmerman sometimes brings this cherry chocolate chip cake with vanilla frosting that is amazing. (laughs) Now, I am a big fan of cake in all its varieties, but this, this is seriously next-level cake i also know that sharon oslin makes tremendous muffins with so much good stuff packed into them i can't even name it sometimes they just magically show up on my desk it's it's the most tremendous thing last winter when i came home from the hospital and i was good for nothing (laughs) dozens of you brought food to matt and i and we were incredibly grateful and i found out What great cooks so many of you are! Meal after meal of amazingness showed up on our porch. Casseroles, crock pots. A few of you are grill masters that just, you guys blew our minds. I have learned a lot in these two years of being your pastor, and that's because we eat a lot around here. And that that even includes like a full year of pandemic restrictions where we didn't eat at all. Imagine what I missed out on learning during all those months that we didn't eat together. I have catching up to do. But this is just a fact of church life that we eat together often. And not just something thrown together, right? We, We take time and we make things for one another that show special care food that communicates care and affection, dishes that show we love one another. It's been a little while since we have together done the miracle of a church potluck, but we will do it again soon. But you all know the treats that you make for one another, the ways that you make meals for the sick and those who've had surgery are just, their gifts of love. And then of course there's that biggest offering of love that we do for one another, funeral meals which are just this simple way to show hospitality to a family in their hour of grief that means so much to the people who receive it. We eat together here a lot because it's part of how we do life together. It helps bind us as a community, sharing meals. It deepens our relationships like nothing else can. We eat together a lot and I'm really glad. And you know, because you've experienced it, even if you haven't experienced it here, you've experienced it other places, maybe at your grandmother's dining room table, or perhaps some other gathering of family or friends, you know that when we receive food that's made especially for us, something made with talent and intentionality and care, in those moments, we know that we're being given more than food. We're being given part of the one who made it, right? We're being given a gift of love that goes far beyond just how good it tastes. So with that knowledge, with those experiences in our mind, hopefully it's not too much of a jump for us to grab a hold of the fact that the simple meal we have today, here on the altar, this bread and this juice, it can, like any food that's given to us, it can be so much more than just a bite to eat. It can carry deep meaning with it. It can carry with it unconditional love. Holy Communion, it's what uh, our founder, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, he called it a means of grace, a means of grace. And from the beginning, he instructed his Methodists to participate in Holy Communion regularly. Wesley understood that we, we can't just believe in God with our heads. We have to encounter God. We need to experience God's presence. We need to meet God, and we need to have God be made real to us. And that can happen in lots of different ways in the world. It can happen unexpectedly. But Wesley wanted to make sure that we had some regular channels by which we we know that we can meet and experience God. A guarantee, if you will, of encountering God. That's what he called means of grace these regular pathways to hear and experience God's presence with us. And he talked about five of them, prayer, searching the scriptures, holy conferencing, fasting, and the sacrament of Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper. He thought it was just essential to the life of Christian people, so much so he wanted people to receive it regularly, weekly, actually. Every Sunday when they gathered for worship, he thought that people should receive the sacrament. He did it every week. And then, because he was kind of an intense guy, on the eight days after Christmas and the twelve days after, eight days after Easter and 12 days after Christmas, he received the sacrament every day. That's how important he thought it was. Now, why did he do it so often? Well, here's what he said. He said, I haste to this sacrament for the same purpose that St. Peter and John haste to the tomb of Christ because I hope to find him there. Pretty simple. He came to the table because he hoped to find Christ there. He wanted to encounter Jesus. He wanted to experience God. He wanted to connect with Christ, and he trusted that he could do it at the communion table. So he wanted his followers to do the same thing. So in the prayer book that he created in 1784 and sent to the United States for American Methodists, he assumed the weekly celebration of communion. Why was it so important to him? Well, first of all, because it's so deeply rooted in the scripture. He read the gospels, Wesley read the apostle Paul, and he saw that it plainly says, Jesus gave us this meal and asked us to repeat it until God comes again in fullness. If we look at the scripture that we read today, 1 Corinthians 11, we see it clearly. This is probably the first place that it was ever written down about how to do communion. 1 Corinthians as a letter was written in like 54 AD. Think about that for a minute, 54, the year 54. Jesus died in like the year 30 or the year 33. So this is a tradition that's maybe 20 years old that we're reading about in the life of the church. This is as close to our uh to jesus as our written tradition will ever get this this is a word from the very first generation of christian converts a passage about what they did when they gathered together they gathered in houses they told stories about jesus and they shared in the new life they found in his name and what did they do they told a story and they said on on the night he was betrayed jesus took a loaf of bread He gave thanks to God. He broke the bread and he gave it to his friends. And he said, this is my body. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after that supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in in remembrance of me. Do those words sound familiar to you at all? (laughs) Yeah. I say them every time we have Holy Communion. I, I don't know if that catches you like it catches me. I don't know if it impacts you like it impacts me, but I just, I get so overwhelmed thinking about that in a few minutes we are going to do the same thing that followers of Christ have been doing since the year 50 AD. I'm going to say the same words. We're going to eat the same thing. And we're going to do it for the same reason. Because we want to encounter God. Because we want to remember Jesus. Jesus because we want to proclaim his death until he comes. I think that's cool. This sacrament, it's, it's shared by Christians throughout the world. It is a universal part of Christian worship. But we've got some differences in the way we do it. Some churches have it weekly, like John Wesley wanted to. Right? Roman Catholics, the Orthodox, some Lutheran churches. Other churches hardly have it at all. Maybe some of you grew up in a tradition like this that does it like twice a year. Most Mennonites are that way, some Baptists. Sometimes I hear Methodists say they wish we had communion less frequently. They say it would be more special if we did it less often. And I I get that, like wanting to have it be this really important high and holy moment, but I don't think doing it more often makes it less special. I mean, do you tell your children you love them only twice a year because you want it to be really special when you tell them? No. You tell them all the time. You tell them every day because you want them to know every day and to never forget that they carried that around inside of them. The Holy Communion as a means of grace is a way for us to receive the love of God. And just like we can't pray too often, we can't wear out communion just because we do it more than twice a year. So here we do it monthly. That was your tradition before I came, and we're carrying on monthly. It's kind of this middle ground between the weekly uh, practice that John Wesley invited us to and the, the tradition that a lot of Methodist churches had for a long time of doing it four times a year. Anybody grow up in a church that did it just quarterly, four times a year? I did. That's, what, that's the way my church was too growing up. You know why four times a year? because at one point as Methodists, we had circuit riders and they had so many churches that they only got around to their church, guess how many times? Four times a year. And you had to have the ordained person be the one who presided over Holy Communion. That's part of our polity, part of the way we're organized that you need a a credentialed clergy person in order to do that. So when the circuit rider would come into town, he, it was all boys, he would baptize all the babies and everyone would have Holy Communion. But now, you have a pastor every week. (laughs) So thank goodness, (laughs) no horseback riding for me. So we can experience Holy Communion as much as we want. Now here, we we do it with grape juice, right? If you've been here, you, you know that. And that's, that's, John Wesley did not use grape juice. He used wine, but in the 20th century, Methodists were really involved in the temperance movement, in the abolition of alcohol. Now, thankfully, Methodists have loosened their ideas about alcohol quite a bit, especially I'd say in the last 30 years, but we still use unfermented wine, also known as grape juice, so that anyone can come. Anyone can come to the table. Uh, little children can come anyone who struggles with addiction can come and still receive the sacrament you know some churches require people to be a certain age or to be members of the church or to be baptized in a certain way to receive the sacrament and if you've ever been here on a communion sunday you know that i take time to say every time that everyone is welcome here at this table regardless of your membership regardless of your age if you wish to feast with the lord come and that is true in all United Methodist churches all over the world, and we do that because John Wesley believed communion could be what he called a converting ordinance, a converting ordinance. What he meant is this could be the very thing that brings someone to God. He thought, you know, someone might come and sit in church for the very first time, And they might feel the grace of God moving in their hearts and they might see communion being celebrated and they might, in that moment, they might be convicted of their sin and also of God's immense love that covers over that sin. And they might come and taste this bread and this wine for the first time and their heart might be changed forever. That could happen. We don't want to be the one that stands in the way of that. So we say the table is open. Anybody can come. The communion, it's an important moment of encounter between you and God. It's a moment for you, as the scripture says, to taste and see God's goodness. To have Christ be made real and present to you. It's also a mystery. We can't diagram it out. We can't explain into words everything that happens in the Lord's Supper. It's a mystery and it's meant for us to experience it as as much to understand it. But What's so amazing about it is it's not just an individual mystery, it's a communal mystery. So unlike some of the other means of grace, like praying or reading the Bible, Holy Communion is is never something we do all by ourselves. We always do it as a community. And, And I don't just mean we do it at the same time, I mean we do it together. We do it as a body, we do it as a whole We share this meal together and it it binds us together actually in a powerful way. That's something again, when we go back to 1 Corinthians that we see Paul, he can't disconnect the meal with the people around him. You might've noticed that the first part of that scripture, he really digs into the Corinthians again because he feels like they're using the meal as a way to make divisions among themselves. And that's the exact opposite of what it's about. He says, if you're treating the people around you terribly, If you have broken relationships with the people in your community, how can you expect to experience the grace of God at the table? We don't do this alone, we do it together. And that means we keep our hearts open to our friends uh, to help us experience the grace of God. Now, just like any ritual, just like any tradition, like Penny talked about in the children's time, it is very possible to come and take communion without thinking very much about it. You could be preoccupied with all kinds of other stuff. You might come forward and have your to-do list going on in your head. You might be thinking about the text that you need to send instead of paying attention to the body of believers that's around you, instead of experiencing this mystery that happens when we take communion together. You don't, you don't have to be checked in to receive the body and the, the bread and the cup. And, and really, I'm not going to know. The people around you aren't going to know where your head and where your heart is. But if you, if you are present, if you do stay checked in, I think it'll make all the difference in the world. So that's my challenge to you today. To open yourself up to the presence of God. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion today. And I just would ask that you come to this meal expecting for God to meet you in it. Come forward in reverence and receive the gift given to you and then take a minute to pray. We have the kneeling rails out here and if you want to kneel down and pray you can do that here. I think there's something uh, that helps us get our hearts and our minds in the right place when we kneel down and put our bodies in that position. But if you don't want to do that that's fine you can go back to your seat and kneel there too. But after you receive communion, take just a minute today to close your eyes and bow your head and open up your heart to this God who made you, this God who loves you, this God who forgives you. Taste the bread and the cup and spend a moment in reflection with God. Listen to what God has to say to you and listen to what your heart has to say to God today. Those of you who are worshiping at home, same thing. After you receive the elements, take a moment to pray. Jesus gave us this meal knowing that it would sustain us on our journey of faith. He gave it to us as a pathway to God's own grace, as a way to experience God's forgiveness and love. May all those things and more be true for us when we gather and feast at God's table. Thanks be to God. Amen.